0: Good morning, oldest and Baptist. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Cam Buchanan. Uh, I had the privilege of visiting and speaking at your congregation uh, last October, and that feels like a lifetime ago given the circumstances we're currently in. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, here's a brief introduction. Here's where I work. Here's me and my wife, Jenny. Here's my, well, kids. Here's where I spend a lot of time doing life. And here's what my town is best known for, the iconic Blue Lake. Anyway, why don't we get into some scripture this morning? Um, I'd love it if you were to open your Bible to the book of Ephesians, chapter four. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words will be on screen shortly, but I always find it's helpful to open it up and interact with the pages as we go during these times. Uh, I've been reflecting on Ephesians a lot lately, and this has been coming out in many ministry contexts that I'm finding myself in, including you guys today. Um, I guess one of the reasons that I'm attracted to it at this time is that it's being written from a place that, what, that you and I would actually describe as lockdown. Uh, he's in a, what Axe more politely calls house detention. Uh, he can't go anywhere. He's under guard. He's stuck in those four walls. He's in limbo about his own future. He's waiting for his appeal to Caesar to be heard. Uh, he's waiting on political leaders uh, to find out if he'll ever be able to leave, leave his house again. I wonder if that feels kind of familiar in our context. <laughs> um, I think knowing this was his headspace is important uh, because at least to me it influences how we read the powerful stuff that he's been writing in that place. Um, the first three chapters are really full of amazing theological insights, and this has been coupled with exuberant praise and prayer. Uh, and it's just deep theological reflection, bringing him to his knees and, and, and marveling at the things of God once again. Um, and it, it's stuff that he writes down that leaves us in no doubt about who we are as believers. Uh, there's insight about our standing in these chapters. We're chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven. We're part of God's predestined redemption narrative from before time. And we're told here that we can treat all of this as a certainty because God has left a really powerful down payment of our hope within us. The Holy Spirit is the deposit, the pledge of what is to come for us. And there is insight about the supremacy of Christ in these chapters too. He is risen. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's ruling over all things and he is the head of the church. And out of this supremacy, we're told there is grace that saves us, that isn't dependent on our works. For me, and I think this is soon to be pertinent for you guys in Olveston also, the standout idea in play throughout all this is how Paul describes you and me as believers. His pet phrase for believers all through this letter is this, that we are in Christ. Every time you see this phrase throughout Ephesians, he is describing our status. And this may be a nod to things that Jesus has already said Uh, in John 15, a passage that will no doubt turn up in your He Still Is series. uh, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branch. Remain in me as I remain in you. It's an amazing thing to view your faith not as a process of trying harder and harder to do the right things, but simply abiding in Christ. I wish I had the time to explore this in a lot more detail with you, but I really need to get into our feature passage today. So hopefully your Bibles are open and we are going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6 today, and we'll do this in two halves as we navigate this passage together. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So Paul is describing himself in a really interesting way here. Uh, we've read it as prisoner for the Lord in what we just read there. But the better way to read it from the Greek is in fact prisoner for the in the Lord. Uh, This is the same word used here as when he describes our faith status. uh, When he says we are in Christ. Uh, Paul is actually saying that he's a prisoner. That's his truth. That's his physical reality. But although he's in house arrest, although he's in lockdown, his identity is not tied up in his prison. It's not tied up in his circumstances. He is a prisoner. That's his reality. But he is still in Christ Uh, that alone might be worth the broadcast to some who are tuning in this morning so we have here a fellow believer in Christ who happens to be in lockdown at this time who has just laid out three chapters of profound theology and praise for us to to deeply reflect on and with all that behind him he now asks us to consider how we as believers will live that theology out the appeal he makes, and this provides a framework for chapters 4 and 5 and, and some of the last chapter, a chapter as well, um, this, he appeals to his congregation here to live a life worthy of the amazing calling you now have in Christ. Live a life worthy of your calling. A life worthy of the call we have. A life lived worthy of this calling has some clear attributes. Uh, And these six loaded verses show us a great foundation from which this worthy life gets lived out. Uh, Let me flesh this out a bit. He tells us this, that we have the the trait of humility in, in this. This is a foundational thing for all believers who live this worthy life. Humility. The idea in play here is the lowering of our view of ourselves. Uh, this trait leads us to a healthy biblical perspective of service where we find joy and fulfillment in it. Not just something we feel obliged to do. There's joy in service uh, through the traits of humility in our lives. We have this other one. Gentleness. This is the power of a person being kept under appropriate restraint and self-discipline. Uh, it's using our power mechanisms for good, not personal gain, for mercy, for justice and the right. Um, it's the fruit of the Spirit that enables us to correct others appropriately. And it facilitates restoration in, in doctrine, in relationship and fellowship with each other. Uh, we see that this in, um, in Galatians. Um, we have patience. or in some translations, long-suffering. Uh, the Greek word being used here is a big one. It's makrothumia. The ancient philosophers often spoke of three parts to a human mind. Uh, Eros spoke into the emotional side of things. Logos was said to address logic and reason. And then there was something a little more ambiguous called thumos, Or thymos. This often spoke of the inner drive of a person. Uh, These would be the things that motivate us and drive us. This would be the causes that we stand up for. Uh, The sense of purpose that we have. The fire in the belly that we all sort of carry at times. Uh, Thymos refers to our will, our temper, our pride and even our shame. All of these things were said to come from this place of thymos or thumos. In our inner being, in our inner makeup. When we study church unity in Acts chapter 2, uh, the idea of being in one mind, one accord there, is actually a picture of unity in this part of them more than emotion or intellectualism. They had a singleness of drive, a single cause a single fire in the belly towards one amazing end more so than an emotional level ground or a intellectual one as well and here paul invites us to let that thumos our motivations our drive our temper allow those things to be stretched through our interactions with other people so we have humility Gentleness, um, patience, elongated thumos in our life. And after this comes enduring love. This is bearing with others in love. This is choosing to be invested in others and loving them. This is the ministry of Jesus right there. We see this in the Gospels. And then with these four things underpinning all of it, we come to a major central theme in chapter 4. And I want to bring us to this now. It says this, Make every effort, every effort, to keep the unity of the Spirit. Unity of the of the Spirit, with the bond of peace. Now Paul has already shown us some key things in Ephesians. Uh, in chapter two, he tells us that, that together we become members of God's household, and that in Christ we are joined together to become a holy temple in the Lord, we become a dwelling place for the Spirit of the Lord within us. In chapter 3, we are shown that both Jews and Gentiles uh, have been brought together into one body, which is called the church. And this is to be an entity that displays the wisdom of God to the world. We are all brought together by God's spirit. A unity exists in our midst as the church which is given by grace, and in this unified space, God's wisdom is put on display, it's put on show for the world to see. God clearly has a vested interest in this, and the Spirit's presence is a key part of our new identities in Christ because of this. And as we consider the invitation to live worthy of our calling. We learn that protecting that unity in the spirit is part of the call. Protecting what we have in this space. And we do this with what Paul calls the bond of peace. This word bond here and prisoner in verse 1 are carefully chosen by Paul because they are related words to each other. Consider this. Under arrest, Paul is bound to a guard. Think shackles, Or handcuffs here. In Paul's mind, those who value their calling bind themselves like a willing prisoner to the unity they have. And this shackle, this way they bind themselves is with the most gentle shackle of all. It's the bond, the shackle of peace. As a result, we lean into the fact that Christian life is one where where community is inescapable. Christianity is a team sport. Therefore, in Paul's mind, humility, patience, enduring love and peaceful unity are the foundational traits of what the worthy life looks like. We're going to read a little bit deeper into this now. Let's go into verses 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul asked us earlier to work for unity to bind ourselves to it with a gentle handcuff that is called peace and now he shows us seven key ways that unity is expressed through the church Uh, we see seven forms of oneness for us to find common ground on Uh, and first we see that unity is expressed in one body We're told already in chapter one that Christ is head of a body called the church. And in chapter two, we're shown that God sought to bring Jews and Gentiles together into one body. Um, And this would bring about peace with each other and also reconciliation with God. Paul's idea of the church being a body appears in Romans and extensively in 1 Corinthians as well. Uh, Christians see the work of Jesus as an incarnational thing, that God came and dwelt among mankind. If we read the message version of the Bible, uh, I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in John 1, that, the, that God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Uh, And we see our Christian expression as incarnational also. We are the hands, the feet of Christ. And we are organically connected with each other through Christ. Uh, And the scriptures offer us many metaphors to drive this point home for us to understand. I've been inspired recently by an article by a preacher named Brian Zand. Now, he and I don't always see eye to eye on things. There's some conclusions he reaches that I don't share. But in this case, I think he's onto something when he with his recent article, which says don't let this pandemic turn us into Gnostics. The ancient heresy of Gnosticism was a very complex thing. Uh, But one of its problems was that it denied the incarnational nature of Christ. Uh, It stood in opposition in some ways to the flesh and blood humanity of Christ. Uh, And in other ways, it stood in opposition to the deity of Christ. It was a complex thing. Uh, John's gospel, as you guys are exploring uh, in other sermons with Pastor Louis and others, uh, that is written by John to combat predominantly Gnostic thinking in the life of the church. Uh, Gnosticism in some ways looked at salvation as a way of escaping the apparent evil material world. Um, It looked at various forms of disembodied faith expression both in the temporal and in eternity. Um, There's a heap of church leadership gurus all around the world right now who are now saying that this online world that we're in um, is the future. And I'm concerned about that because that feels a little bit too Gnostic for my liking. And I think Brian Zand agrees with me on this. Um, That that, that we can accept as the new norm that everybody is going to be um, disembodied and separate from each other and church is going to be 100% like this online. And yet, thankfully... I'm also hearing voices from everywhere, both inside the church and outside, that we're all a little bit over our screens, even after just a few months. We're all zoomed out. We're all screened out. Uh, I personally am too. Um, If this is church forever, then even as a minister, I'm not on board with this. And I hope you aren't either, that you're longing for something greater than what we have now. I believe at this time there's a renewed longing coming up at the moment to get back to this practice of being one body. And I hope that is stirring in you as much as it is in me at this time. Brian Sand reminds us that Christianity is a sacramental religion. It takes water and oil and bread and wine to properly practice out our faith that we hold. This online setting that we're in now, this will be helpful in the future. Um, It's helpful right now. I'm hundreds of kilometers away from you right now, and here we are. But it can't be the whole, uh, because the Christian expression works best when we are as one body operating in organic unity. We read also that unity is expressed through one spirit. This Holy Spirit has been present in all that Paul has written so far. Uh, It's almost like he's the glue that is pulling all of Paul's doctrinal ideas together. In chapter 1, this one Spirit is the deposit of what is to come. He's the down payment, as it were, of the hope that the church in Ephesus and we by extension hold. It's important to note here that part of everybody's salvation story Is the involvement of the Holy Spirit. It's not just something we speak about in terms of charismatic gifts, but we're told in 1 Corinthians 12 that we can't even say Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit is active in us to lead us in that direction. This is important to the Ephesians because a bunch of their members had once learned to seek the help of a number of spirits. Uh, there is ancient magician literature that explain the benefits of having a familiar spirit at your disposal. Um, if you've ever seen the movie with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig, The Golden Compass, and, and they, they would walk around and they had this, this thing called a demon, a spirit animal, uh, getting around, you might get a feel for how this Ephesian idea played out. Uh, the magicians of Ephesus taught that these familiar spirits would be an assistant who would reveal things clearly and they would be a companion who would eat and sleep with them. Um, And in addition to this, um, this familiar spirit was also able to call on other spirits as required. So you had this familiar spirit idea in play in Ephesus or you had the Holy Spirit in the church. This was a huge uh, shift in thinking for the people of Ephesus. Now, because we operate in one body... Unity occurs because we're moving in the same direction together with Christ as the head. And with the one spirit being the deposit of what is to come for all believers. It then makes sense that our unity leads us to another form of oneness. One hope. For me, that is something worth thinking about. Our future hope together in the Spirit means that we are all headed for the same destination. And that should bring us all together in a closer way the more we pursue that destination together. This was actually a philosophical idea in play back in Ephesus when Paul was writing. Uh, t- as two people were looking to the same destination, think like a, a couple, a husband and wife, as they had their common goals of what they wanted to achieve in their life. As they pursued that, they were coming to the same thing. And think like a triangle, they were kind of coming together more and more as they pursued this one thing. If everyone's pursuing their own agendas, then nobody draws anywhere closer. At very best, we draw parallel. But together with it, when the destination is the same and when the outcome is the same for all believers, it by its very nature brings us together to the same hope. It builds unity in us when we all know that we're in this together, pursuing the same thing. I love that. We have one Lord. This had challenges Right there and then for the Romans, the Jews and the pagans alike. Uh, Caesar wanted annual acknowledgement as Lord. Uh, It made life a whole lot easier if you were willing to go to a local shrine to the emperor and make that annual confession whether you meant it or not. Uh, Artemis was widely worshipped as the Lord above all the cosmos. Uh, she was considered the supreme deity in their midst. She ruled over heaven, earth, and the underworld. Um, the Greek-speaking Jews um, would state a daily confession, including the phrase, one Lord, to describe Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. And one Lord here, in Paul's words, is absolutely unmistakably, Christ. Artemis and Caesar would lose their title for good and the Jews would need to give Jesus the same identity, title and authority that they gave to Yahweh. In all cases, old mindsets fell and and Christ is elevated above all things. We need to reflect on that just for a moment. Um, Has something other than Christ been getting lordship lately in our life? Has Caesar wanted to be Lord? Has, has uh, the, the, the ideas of the world around us trying to, um, the, and the, the way of the kingdoms of the world trying to overrule the things of the kingdom of God in our life in any way? Jesus must be Lord over those things. Um, are other religious mindsets or other, um, uh, things, other things demanding our trust that Jesus is saying, trust me with those things? Uh, Whatever it is, if something is calling to be Lord over your life and it's not Christ, we need to be willing to do away with those things and elevate Jesus as Lord above all things in our life. If you're listening here, you're a friend or a family member associated with someone at Olverston Baptist. uh, Maybe you are just for the first time considering that idea. Um, Who is Lord of your life right now? Is it Jesus or is it something else or is it even ourselves? Uh, whatever it is, it needs to to bow its knee to Christ. Jesus wants to be Lord over all, and it's a free place to be. It's a wonderful freeing space when Jesus is Lord of all. It's amazing how much freedom comes into our life as that happens. Would you consider that yourself also? If you're not a believer yet, you can make Jesus Lord uh, yourself, and, and things can change in your life in a really big way. We have this one faith. It's interesting to note this that the whole complete gospel is not spelled out in every book of the New Testament. If you know your New Testament, you notice know to be true. Uh, for example, um, Ephesians highlights uh, the work of grace. For example, uh, Romans highlights justification. Uh, 1 Corinthians gives us a definitive doctrine of resurrection that is central to our gospel. Uh, Each book, each letter has different emphases of of what the gospel and the Christian life is. Uh, And yet they all come together in a profound unity when taken as a whole. Uh, They give us an unambiguous gospel to receive and to live out. Paul tells us here that there is one faith in this unified faith that we hold to. Uh, By this he means that there is a consistent line of teaching that is presented by the apostles throughout all the churches. Uh, There is a series of essential things that all the churches were to receive and to live out as gospel. We don't know just from Ephesians what that whole gospel is. But when we take in all that is written we can have a pretty accurate view of what would have been taught to the church in Ephesus while Paul was there. He spent a few years there. And in that time, you could go to any city. You could find a church that claimed to follow Christ and you could engage with a belief system that was somewhat in sync with what you yourself had been taught. Unity expressed as one faith is to come together into a joint pursuit of what it means to live out the gospel of Christ. It calls us to get ourselves absolutely locked in with the essentials, the non-negotiables of our faith. Now I've noticed that this lockdown period has led to some in the Christian world getting caught up in the periphery rather than the core. Um, And I fear this is coming at the expense of the essentials that we're supposed to hold to. Um, we already get a bit too enamored with things like the unveiling of mysteries. Um, We're trying to work out things like predestination and other sidebar um, issues in Scripture. But in the wake of the pandemic, I'm seeing a bit of an escalation with this stuff at this time. Um, This isn't really the time, friends, to start working out uh, whether COVID-19 is God's judgment on the world or not. Uh, It's not the time to start calculating the last days. Uh, And it's certainly not a time to shoehorn the latest conspiracy theory into our theological reflection. Instead, I believe this is our chance to work out how our gospel essentials speak into the world and what it needs right now. The basics and the non-negotiables of our faith right now is exactly what the world needs. I am utterly convinced of that, friends. So let's work on getting those things nailed down and then we get a chance to show the world around us how to live those things out. Our unity in the core at this time will ensure we don't end up dividing over all the frayed and mysterious edges. In the 17th century, there was a Lutheran preacher, uh, Rupertus Meldenius, and he suggested that we think like this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. Liberty. And in all things, charity it was his way of saying, you know what, there are peripheral things. Let's use a bit of liberty and freedom of conscience as we navigate those things, but also hold fast to the things that really matter. And as we navigate it all, love each other deeply as we do so. There is one baptism. In the first century, you didn't join the church without being baptised. Uh, this was a clear sign of being united in Christ and with each other. Uh, scripturally, it didn't happen um, you know, without conversion. You know, people said, I follow, I'm going to follow Jesus now. And in scripture, we, we seen, it seems to appear that they were baptized immediately. Um, going into the second century and beyond, it was sometimes delayed while a spiritual journey was put in place for the new believer. But discipleship always involved this practice of baptism before bringing a person into full Christian community. Now, I have no idea how the social distancing measures might play into this um, uh, when it comes to time to do this practice again, but... For some who are in my audience right now, um, Unity might be calling for you to go down this path. If you're in that place, have a chat with Pastor Louis, have a chat with an elder in your church or someone close to you about getting onto the list for the first baptism service you can have by the time you're all able to get back and worship together. Uh, I know in my church here in Mount Gambia, I'm making that a priority. We, we're already working on potential dates before the end of the year for our next baptism service. We have one just before lockdown, but we've already got people lining up for the next one. And you know what? If that's something that you need for your space, uh, your place of unity in the body, talk to Pastor Louis and um, and let him work on the next baptism date for you guys. Finally, for this morning, above all is one, of course, one... God and Father if we are in Christ let there be no worship to anything or anyone else from this day forth there is no other deity to invoke or beseech or even appease there is no other temple or shrine to sacrifice at. There is no other religious practice worthy. We just have one true God. And it is a very clearly Trinitarian picture that Paul is presenting to us here. We have the spirit. We have the deity of the spirit there. We have our one Lord who is worshipped as God. It's Christ, also a part of this Godhead. And of course, we have the Father. So we have this Trinitarian God in play in Three of the seven expressions of unity that are suggested here are around who God is, the person and work of Christ, the person and work of the Spirit, the role of the Father in our life. It's amazing to see how God is intertwined in this image of unity that Paul promotes, that we are working for in the bond of peace together. So we have some really cool foundational things in play here as we consider what a worthy life looks like. Um, in humility and gentleness, in patience and enduring love, we are invited to work for unity in all its fullness. This fullness is indeed, well, full. <laughs> Paul gives us seven ideas on how this sense of unity or oneness plays out. I love it. So to reiterate this, we have one body, we have one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. If after this message you are brave and you go to read verse 7 and beyond, you'll see that this sort of unity then sets us up for some amazing Grace based, diverse ministry. And I love how it folds out. From the position of unity, diverse ministry will flow. It's my prayer that as lockdown calms down, uh, as the weeks ahead show that there is a, a way forward, you'll not only desire to connect again, you'll not only desire to get back into this unified expression that we're called to be. But you'll also have a fresh and burning desire to minister in this new normal, whatever that will turn out to be. As we look at how Paul lays it out here, we see that reflection comes before ministry. In particular, the way we engage in kingdom community. So let me leave this up on the wall for a moment. And I'm going to ask you uh, to take all this in with the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Let's allow him to highlight one or two things on this board behind me, which he wants us to work on while we've got time in this lockdown season. So I'm going to leave this on screen. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to ponder this. And I'm going to come back and I'll pray for you. So John 17, verse 20, Jesus prays this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Paul writes that we need to pursue this idea of being one. Let's do those things and commit to doing them because some great ministry lies ahead for us when this lockdown period is said and done. If you've been challenged today about who your one Lord is, can I ask you to speak to somebody in your lounge room right now about what that might mean to you? Jesus wants to be your one Lord. Will you surrender all things to him this morning? Speak to your pastor, your elders, or speak to uh, the people in your room who actually know about this thing called Jesus, this faith that we have. And ask them what it means to make Jesus Lord of your life. Let me pray for you all now, Alderston. Jesus, I thank you for Alderston Baptist Church. I thank you for their leaders and I thank you for their whole congregation. I thank you for the friendship that exists between them and me. Lord, I pray for your blessing on them at this time. I pray for provision. I pray for protection. I pray for health. And I pray for a sense of your presence in every home as they navigate these uncertain times. Lord, I pray also that you would be preparing them in this journey of lockdown, Lord, that, you would, that this journey of oneness would only get stronger in their midst. That as this lockdown period ends, that the diverse ministry that comes out of this oneness would flow naturally for them. I thank you for life, for what lies ahead uh, at Olveston Baptist Church. I thank you for their future and that you hold that firmly in your hand. And I pray that out of this oneness, they would naturally step into all that you have in store for them. Bless them, I pray. May they know your presence and your power more and more. And I thank you now for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for having me, church. I'll hopefully see you in person someday again. God bless.